Section 27 of the Underground Railroad, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 3, by William Still. Section 27. Arrival from Arlington, Maryland, 1857. John Alexander Butler, William Henry Hipkins, John Henry Moore, and George Hill. This party made at first sight a favorable impression. They represented the bone and sinew of the slave class of Arlington, and upon investigation the committee felt assured that they would carry with them to Canada industry and determination such as would tell well for the race. John Alexander Butler was about twenty-nine years of age, well made, dark color, and intelligent. He assured the committee that he had been hampered by slavery from his birth, and that in consequence thereof he had suffered serious hardships. He said that a man by the name of William Ford, belonging to the Methodist Church at Arlington, had defrauded him of his just rights, and had compelled him to work on his farm for nothing, also had deprived him of an education, and had kept him in poverty and ignorance all his life. In going over the manner in which he had been treated, he added that not only was his master a hard man, but that his wife and children partook of the same evil spirit. They were all hard. True, they had but three slaves to oppress, but these they spared not. John was a married man, and spoke affectionately of his wife and children, whom he had to leave behind at crossroads. William Henry, who was heart and soul in earnest with regard to reaching Canada, and was one of this party, was twenty-three years of age, and was a stout, yellow man with a remarkably large head, and looked as if he was capable of enjoying Canada and caring for himself. In speaking of the fettered condition from which he had escaped, the name of Ephraim Swart, a gambler and spreer, was mentioned as the individual who had wronged him of his liberty most grievously. Against Swart he expressed himself with much manly feeling, and judging from his manner he appeared to be a dangerous customer for Master Swart to encounter north of Mason's and Dixon's line. William complained that Swart would come home late at night drunk, and if he did not find us awake he would not attempt to wake us, but would begin cutting and slashing with a cowhide, he treated his wife very bad, too. Sometimes, when she would stand up for the servants, he would knock her down. Many times at midnight she would have to leave the house and go to her mother's for safety. She was a very nice woman, but he was the very old Satan himself. While William Henry was debarred from learning letters under his brutal overseer, he nevertheless learned how to plan ways and means by which to escape his bondage. He left his old mother and two brothers wholly ignorant of his movements. John Henry Moore, another one of the Arlington party, was about twenty-four years of age, a dark, spare-built man. He named David Mitchell, of Harvard de Grace, as the individual above all others who had kept his foot on his neck. Without undertaking to give John Henry's description of Mitchell in full, suffice it to give the following facts. Mitchell would go off and get drunk, and come home, and if the slaves had not as much work done as he had tasked them with, he would go to beating them with clubs or anything he could get in his hand. 
He was a tall, spare-built man with sandy hair. He had a wife and family, but his wife was no better than he was. When charges or statements were made by fugitives against those from whom they escaped, particular pains were taken to find out if such statements could be verified. If the explanation appeared valid, the facts as given were entered on the books. John Henry could not read, but greatly desired to learn, and he looked as though he had a good head for so doing. Before he left there had been some talk of selling him south. This rumor had a marked effect upon John Henry's nervous system. It also expanded his idea touching traveling, the Underground Railroad, etc. As he had brothers and sisters who had been sold to Georgia, he made up his mind that his master was not to be trusted for a single day. He was therefore one of the most willing-hearted passengers in the party. George Hill, also a fellow passenger, was about twenty-four years of age, quite black, medium size, and of fair natural mother wit. In looking back upon his days of bondage, his mind reverted to Dr. Savington of Harford County, as the person who owed him for years of hard and unrequited toil, and at the same time was his so-called owner. The doctor, it seemed, had failed to treat George well, for he declared that he had never received enough to eat the whole time that he was with him. The clothes I have on I got by overwork of nights. When I started I hadn't a shoe on my foot. These were given to me. He was an old man, but a very wicked man, and drank very hard. George had been taught field work pretty thoroughly, but nothing in the way of reading and writing. George explained why he left as follows. I left because I had got along with him as well as I could. Last Saturday a week he was in a great rage and drunk. He shot at me. He never went away but what he would come home drunk, and if anybody made him angry out from home, he would come home and take his spite out of his people. He owned three grown men, two women, and six children. Thus hating slavery heartily, George was enthusiastically in favor of Canada. Five Passengers, 1857 Eliza Jane Johnson, Harriet Stewart, and her daughter Mary Eliza, William Cole, and Hanson Hall. Eliza Jane was a tall, dark young woman, about twenty-three years of age, and had been held to service by a widow woman named Sally Spicer, who was anything but a good woman. The place of her habitation was in Delaware, between Concord and Georgetown. Eliza Jane's excuse for leaving was this. She charged her mistress with trying to work her to death, and with unkind treatment generally. When times became so hard that she could not stand her old mistress Sally any longer, she took out. Harriet did not come in company with Eliza Jane, but by accident they met at the station in Philadelphia. Harriet and daughter came from Washington, D.C. Harriet had treasured up a heavy account against a white man known by the name of William A. Linton, whom she described as a large, red-faced man, who had in former years largely invested in slave property, but latterly he had been in the habit of selling off, until only seven remained, and among them she and her child were numbered. Therefore she regarded him as one who had robbed her of her rights, and daily threatened her with sale. 
Harriet was a very likely-looking woman, twenty-nine years of age, medium size and of a brown color, and far from being a stupid person. Her daughter also was a smart and interesting little girl of eight years of age, and seemed much pleased to be getting out of reach of slaveholders. The mother and daughter, however, had not won their freedom thus far without great suffering from the long and fatiguing distance which they were obliged to walk. Sometimes the hardness of the road made them feel as though they would be compelled to give up the journey, whether or not. But they added to their faith patience, and thus finally succeeded. Heavy rewards were offered through advertisements in the Baltimore Sun, but they availed not. The Vigilance Committee received them safely, fully cared for them, and safely sent them through to the land of refuge. Harriet's daring undertaking obliged her to leave her husband, John Stewart, behind, also one sister, a slave in Georgetown. One brother had been sold south. Her mother she had laid away in a slave's grave, but her father she hoped to find in Canada, he having escaped thither when she was a small girl. At least it was supposed that he had gone there. Arrival from Howard County, Maryland, 1857. Bill Cole and Hanson. $500 reward. Ran away on Saturday night, September 5th. Bill Cole, aged about 37 years, of copper complexion, stout built, ordinary height, walks very erect, earnest but squint look when spoken to. Also Hanson, copper complexion, well-made, sickly look, medium height, stoops when walking, quick when spoken to, aged about thirty years. Three hundred dollars will be paid for the apprehension and delivery of Bill if caught out of the state, and two hundred if in the state, two hundred dollars for Hanson if out of the state, and one hundred dollars if in the state. W. Baker Dorsey, Hammond Dorsey, Savage Post Office, Howard County, Maryland. Such notoriety as was given them by the above advertisement did not in the least damage Bill and Hanson in the estimation of the committee. It was rather pleasing to know that they were of so much account as to call forth such a public expression from Messrs. Dorsey. Besides, it saved the committee the necessity of writing out a description of them, the only fault found with the advertisement being in reference to their ages. Bill, for instance, was put down ten years younger than he claimed to be, which was correct, Bill or his master. The committee were inclined to believe Bill in preference to his master, for the simple reason that he seemed to account satisfactorily for his master's making him so young. He, the master, could sell him for much more at thirty-seven than at forty-seven. Unscrupulous horse-jockeys and traders in their fellow-men were about on a par as to that kind of sharp practice. Hansen, instead of being only thirty, declared that he was thirty-seven the 15th of February. These errors are noticed and corrected, because it is barely possible that Bill and Hansen may still be lost to their relatives, who may be inquiring and hunting in every direction for them, and as many others may turn to these records with hope. It is therefore doubly important that these descriptions shall be as far as possible correct, especially as regards ages. Hansen laughed heartily over the idea that he looked sickly. 
while on the underground railroad he looked very far from sickly on the contrary a more healthy fat and stout-looking piece of property no one need wish to behold than was this same hansen he confessed however that for some time previous to his departure he had feigned sickness told his master that he was sick all over ten times a day hansen said they would ask him how he was but was not willing to make his task much lighter the following description was given of his master and his reason for leaving him my master was a red-faced farmer severe temper would curse and swear and drink and sell his slaves whenever he felt like it my mistress was a pretty cross curious kind of a woman too though she was a member of the protestant church they were rich and had big farms and a good many slaves they didn't allow me any provisions hardly i had a wife but they did not allow me to go see her only once in a great while bill providentially escaped from a well-known cripple whom he undertook to describe as a very sneaking-looking man medium size smooth face a wealthy farmer who owned eighteen or twenty head of slaves and was judge of the orphans court he sells the slaves occasionally my mistress was a very large rough irish-looking woman with a very bad disposition it appeared like as if she hated to see a nigger and she was always wanting her husband to have someone whipped and she was a member of the methodist church my master was a trustee in the episcopal church in consequence of the tribulation bill had experienced under his christian master and mistress he had been led to disbelieve in the protestant faith altogether and declared that he felt persuaded that it was all a pretense and added that he never went to church no place was provided in church for niggers except a little pen for the coachmen and waiters bill had been honored with the post of head man on the place but of this office he was not proud arrival from prince george's county maryland jim bell one hundred dollar reward ran away from the subscriber on saturday night negro man jim bell jim is about five feet ten inches high black color about twenty-six years of age has a down look speaks slow when spoken to he has large thick lips and a mustache he was formerly owned by edward stansbury late of baltimore county and purchased by edward worthington near Reistertown in baltimore county at the late stansbury's sale who sold him to b m and w l campbell of baltimore city of whom i purchased jim on the thirteenth of june last his wife lives with her mother ann robertson in corn alley between lee and hill streets baltimore city where he has other relations and where he is making his way i will give the above reward no matter where taken so he is brought home or secured in jail so i get him again zachariah berry of w near upper marlborough prince george's county maryland mr zachariah berry who manifested so much interest in jim may be until this hour in ignorance of the cause of his running off without asking leave etc jim stated that he was once sold and flogged unmercifully simply for calling his master mister instead of master and he alleged that this was the secret of his eyes being opened and his mind nerved to take advantage of the underground railroad 
well it may not now do zachariah berry much good to learn this secret it may nevertheless be of some interest to those who were of near kin to jim to glean even so small a ray of light arrival from rappahannock county eighteen fifty seven pascal contents pascal fled from virginia and accused bannon and brandy of doing violence to his liberty he had however been in their clutches only a short while before escaping but that short while seemed almost an age as he was treated so meanly by them compared with the treatment which he had experienced under his former master according to pascal's story which was evidently true his previous master was his own father john quantance who had always acknowledged pascal as his child whom he did not scruple to tell people he should set free that he did not intend that he should serve anybody else but while out riding one day he was thrown from his horse and instantly killed naturally enough no will being found his effects were all administered upon and pascal was sold with the farm bannon and brandy were the purchasers at least of pascal in their power immediately the time of trouble began with pascal and so continued until he could no longer endure it hoggishness according to pascal's phraseology was the most predominant trait in the character of his new masters in his mournful situation and grief he looked toward canada and started with courage and hope and thus succeeded such deliverances always afforded very great joy to the committee End of section 27